He's been called the king of corn. He has a top 40 charting hit called The Seduction. And he looks like your high school geography teacher. Find out which bearded band leader wants to rule your dancing shoes next on One Dollar Vinyl. Welcome to One Dollar Vinyl, the podcast where us two millennial cheapskates discover the forgotten music of the past on a tight budget. My name is Tess and joining me as always is Kat. Kat, how you going? Hello. Yes, I'm great. How are you? What's been happening? Uh, well, oh, I don't know. Nothing. <laughs> We've been stuck inside in the rain all week. Um, oh, the, rain. the weather's been absolutely horrendous, but we had a, a little break today and yesterday and we got out in the backyard and, uh, you know, I've been trying to, um, spend more, be more present, spend more time in the here and now, you know, get off the bloody TikToks. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Good. So, get off um, of that TikTok. Yeah. Oh <laughs> I think it's melting my brain. It's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I've been, um, have you ever found a four leaf clover? Uh, no, but I have, you know, a friend of mine who is, quite adamant that if you look in any clover patch for long enough you will find one four-leaf clover and then after that several yeah well i can now back that up i spent my entire childhood looking for four-leaf clovers and i just think i wasn't very good at concentrating back then (laughs) (laughs) counting is hard yeah i could maybe i just couldn't count up to four yeah (laughs) (laughs) but we have a lot of clover patches in our backyard and i was out there with the kids uh, this week, just idly looking at, at the clover and I found one and I was so excited. I couldn't believe it. It was the first one I found in my whole life. Oh, wow. And then I was out there for like 30 minutes and I found six. I just, Oof. you know, just kept looking. And okay. So, so question, question, does that mean you're super lucky or does that cheapen the whole like four-leaf clovers are lucky? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I felt less lucky the more oh. I found. <laughs> But, and then you know, an anvil fell on your head. <laughs> well, you know, Kat, a real woman makes her own luck. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like those movers and shakers, um, just out there idly <laughs> <laughs> flicking away in the grass, <laughs> harvesting all the luck I can. That's lucky. So, you know, they're, they're, I'm sure there's some good things coming my way soon. Speaking of good things coming your way, what have you found this week? What record? Also, bam, what a segue. Holy shit. Let's (laughs) put that in the record books. Well, I was lucky enough to find Ah. uh, this week's record. It's by a fella called James Last. And the title of the album is called Non-Stop Dancing to 1974. This is Uh, the second volume of Non-Stop Dancing. Yes, yes. Okay. And and it's got to be said before we start, I think James Last is one of those characters that you see it, every time you look in a cheap bin mm. of records, of secondhand yes. records, there's at least five James Last records. And so it's so one of those many. ones where it was about time that we, we took a look. Absolutely. Where did this record in particular come from? Uh, so this one in particular just landed in my lap. A friend was moving into state. They gave us their whole record collection and it was amongst them. So oh, I paid very lucky. zero dollars for it. Oh, very, zero very dollar lucky. vinyl. Yeah. But what's it worth on Discogs? Oh, a whopping a dollar thirty four. Highly sought after. Can you listen to it online if you so want to? Um, you can listen to it on YouTube. 
Sure, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's lots of other James Last available on Spotify and YouTube as well. Yeah, it's something we'll get into. He was quite prolific, wasn't he? <laughs> yes. That's one word for it. put it widely. Yeah. <laughs> Should we take a look at the front cover? Please. So the first uh, the thing that, that I got very excited about this record was the title. Um, mm. I think it just it's very clear. It promises a very clear outcome, and that is non-stop dancing (laughs) you will start dancing and you will never stop that's right (laughs) at least until the record's over (laughs) yeah that's right james last wants us to pour a drink put on our saturday night best head to the dance floor and never leave it again (laughs) (laughs) speaking of saturday night best like this outfit that he has on is uh oh it's yeah look it's something chef's kiss and on (laughs) (laughs) he's got Look, it looks like a leather jacket, but I'm going to actually say it might be pleather. I don't think – I think it's velvet. Velvet? Ew. There's a sheen seems, to it. Yeah, I okay, a, I guess so. a navy, like a midnight blue velvet or velveteen smoking jacket. Oh, gross. And he's got um, a blue patterned shirt and a brown patterned big bow tie, like a really big bow tie. Yeah. Are um, they the I'm same I'm loving pattern? the clashing prints. Yes. <laughs> that is a look. But it's not enough of a look. He needs to have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, count them, 12 of himself, tiny versions like radiating out from him like a sun yeah. in the background behind him. He like, To me, he looks – so it's, it's him in the centre and he's quite large in the centre of the record. And then, yeah, he's got these tiny little James Lasts radiating out, like he said – um, like the rays of the sun, or to me it looks a bit like um, the Catholic portrait of the Madonna. <laughs> There's something <laughs> rather holy about it. <laughs> His halo is made of little versions of himself. <laughs> <laughs> and he's in those pictures, I think he's like dancing, but it's not like John Travolta's Saturday Night Fever. It's oh, yeah. very It's like reserved. fingers pointing. Yeah, shuffling. And he he looks... The look on his face is slightly bemused. I don't know. Like he's, yeah. <laughs> he's, you know, he's not having a cracking time. <laughs> yeah. No, he's like, please, won't you dance? You know what it actually looks like as opposed to the, um, you know, the Madonna is as a kid, did you ever go to say the science center or something similar? And there was like a, a tube that you spun around and looked through the slots. And as it moved, you could see like all of the inside and yes, it created a about. movement. It's like a zoetrope or something. A zootrope or zoetrope? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. You just got to spin it. I wonder if I put this record cover on the record and yes, then created, you, you know, held a colander ruin, up to my eyes. <laughs> ruin your record player. <laughs> That's what would happen. <laughs> but, yeah, back to James Last. I want to describe his look. I To yes. me – He's got like young Santa Claus vibes. <laughs> that is exactly what it is. His eyes are kind. Like that is yes, he's definitely got kind eyes. Yeah. He looks a bit like a long lost Bee Gees cousin. He's got very <laughs> neat kind of um just above the shoulders hair. He's got a very yep. neat beard. He looks like an affable chap. Mm-hmm. He, but he, looks, look, he looks kind of tired. Do you think he looks tired? He looks, he looks like he's a bit like, I've been dancing for 55 years. <laughs> Someone Please. make it stop. <laughs> Someone help me stop dancing. <laughs> um, importantly, Cat 2, at the top, underneath the beautiful typography, which looks a bit mm. like um, it could be on a 
like a 1970s exploitation film, like Tarantino style. It looks a bit like the titles <laughs> of Pulp Fiction or something. That's exactly what it was. Um, we have a bunch of song titles, and it's pretty much every song on this album is listed on the front of the album, which is, you know, that's unusual. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some of the standouts? Well, yeah, you might recognize some of these like Waterloo, The Air That I Breathe, mm-hmm. uh, My Cuckoo, Devil Gate Drive. And there's a lot of things on here that I wouldn't even be close to having heard of and a lot of um, things that I can't even pronounce because they're in <laughs> German. Oh, you don't other... speak German? No. Oh, that's N- a shame. Nine. <laughs> Nine. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> Uh, I was about to say yet and to <laughs> prove my <laughs> point even further. <laughs> anyway, that's the front cover. On the back cover, it's more oh. of the same, but I, I think it's also significant that a good half of the back cover is an ad for more James Last Records. Absolutely. I think that gives us an insight into the level of commercialism we're dealing with here. Yes. Which isn't mm. necessarily a bad thing. Like, you know, James Last got to make that money. I'm all for it. I think we should take a little break. And when we come back, we will have a listen to this record. um, And perhaps we'll start dancing. And perhaps we may never stop. Never, ever stop. (laughs) Let's see. Oh, I'm terrified. Welcome back to One Dollar Vinyl. You just heard a song called The Lonely Shepherd. It's from 1977 and it is composed by James Last. It features Romanian pan flutist Georgi Zamfir and you might have heard that song in the soundtrack to Tarantino's, to Quentin Tarantino's film Kill Bill Volume 1. Oh, not like, not Robert Tarantino? (laughs) <laughs> specifically Quentin yeah. okay. Doug gotcha. Tarantino <laughs> George Tarantino uh, that's his film from 2003 so if you're of our generation Kat that's where you might have heard James Last's work before mm-hmm. that's probably the only thing that I'm aware of having heard before we started diving into this but uh, that song back in 1977 went to number 22 on the German music charts. It was, it did pretty Wait, what? good. Yeah. A pan flute song? Just yeah. Ripped it made up. it in the charts? <laughs> what? Kat, should we figure out who uh, James Last is? Yes, let's. Okay, well, James Last is a German composer and band leader. He's a prolific recorder of albums. It's estimated that he's sold over 200 million albums worldwide during his lifetime, and he's released over 190 records. Like, it's not just me, right? That is a shitload of records. Look, I'm no mathematician, but the way I see it, that's probably like one album a week. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of Yes, that seems, that seems correct. Yeah. Um, 
So, did you know that he was not born James last? No, he wasn't. He was born Hans, 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 Cow- Hans. Hans, Hans, Hans. So I and want to say I want to say Hans because I think well a super Aussie and also b um, I think that there's potential for no he has missed a lot of potential for wordplay like all the dancey things they say like clap your hands and you know imagine oh. all of the um, hands the record on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. raise your hands <laughs> clap your hands. Um, yeah, and his nickname, his his fans know him as Hansi. Hansi. Oh, that's Which cute. is quite cute. Did you know that yeah. the record company, when he was starting out, changed his name to James Last because it sounded less German and where they were still in a time where, you know, Germans needed to sound German. less German. Yeah. Mm. And they changed his name without consulting him. Oh. And he had the good humour to just go along with it. He's like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll be James. Yeah, he is young Santa after all. He's just willing to let everything slide. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's he's there, there to please. Mm. 65 of his 190 records charted on the UK charts alone. Wow. He had worldwide popularity. His trademark music, he calls it happy music. Absolutely, Yes. That's yes. like what he intended to make. But yes, as happy as this music is, he was he was kind of derided in his time by many critics. <laughs> That's He's right. been called, like I said in the opening, the king of corn, the emperor mm. of elevator music. <laughs> and despite all his success selling records, he hasn't had that many charting singles. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a song called Happy Heart, which some people might know. It was covered by um, singers such as Andy Williams and Petula Clark. What, an uh, original by him? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yep. interesting. Okay. So he did. So he did write original compositions. I mean, yeah. that one we just heard, the Kill Bill soundtrack one, yeah, was true. an original composition. Yeah. Um. But yeah, a lot of his work was him arranging other people's music. Yeah, just like creating a mixtape. Pretty much. Yeah. In, yeah. Yeah, and like telling the band to play what he wanted, essentially, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So uh, maybe we should talk about what the leader of a big band does. Yeah. Does it is it not just someone who holds a stick and just waves it? That's part of the job description. Oh, yeah. I feel like I could do that part. <laughs> so the band leader chooses the set list. Um when they're playing, he yeah, he sets the tempo and keeps the time. He tells the soloists when to come in. Yeah, they sort of just direct the music. They'll set the endings for the song. They need a good general knowledge of all the parts that are being played. And then they also do the business side of things. Like they manage the band members. They, you know, hire new members, all that sort of stuff. And so James Last is curating these, like you said, kind of playlists. Mm. They're, as we'll hear later on, his these records in particular, they're, like medleys. Yes. Or, um, you know, akin to something like the Grease Megamix. <laughs> <laughs> Grease Megamix. <laughs> That's exactly what it's like. <laughs> or like, um, you know, in Australia there's a radio show called Triple J and I vividly remember like in my early 20s getting ready to go out on a night on the town on a Saturday and listening to House Party, which was just, you know, the DJ cutting straight to the good parts of all the songs and getting it pumped up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, this is DJing before that sort of DJing existed. Absolutely. But with an orchestra. Yeah. Or a, a big band. Yeah. Yeah. 
I was looking up a bit of the history of, of DJing. So in 1973, about the same time as this, or the year before this record comes mm. out, you've got in the Bronx in in New York, DJ Cool Herc, is, who's known as the father of hip-hop, he's doing that thing where he's mixing two identical records back and forth to the the break to create longer breaks for MCs to rap to and uh, and b-boys to dance to. Yeah, right. Um, what about fly girls? Correctly. B-boys and fly girls also putting yes. their hands in the air. <laughs> Everyone was hands on listening, <laughs> like mixing care. these records. So that's so that's sort of like cited as one of the the starting moments of hip hop, right? Um, in and also disco is starting in the seventies as well. Mm-hmm. You get in 1977, there's a disc jockey called Tom L. Lewis who he creates something called the Disco Bible and that's he's listing disco hits by their beats per minute so that DJs could splice seamlessly from one record to another in order to achieve, ah, now here's the key, non-stop dancing on the dance floor. Hey, I've heard of that before. Yeah. So this is like... I'm not saying a that James proto. Last, you know, invented disco, but it's certainly a front forerunner. Yeah. Um, I did read one music critic um, who said that he sort of paved the way for mm. things like extended disco mixes, extended club mixes yeah, sure. of songs. Yeah. Because, yeah, um, what he's doing is he's taking the best bits from all these songs and running them together with this this seamless beat, as you'll hear later on, mm. that ties them all together. So I have a very serious question. Um, so you say that James Last was almost like a proto-DJ. DJ stands for disc jockey. He was in yes. front of the band. That makes him a band jockey. Do we call him a BJ? <laughs> <laughs> a Hanson BJ? <laughs> Babe yourself, cat. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> All right, let's listen to this record. So we're going to start with Sight Eins. Um, and <laughs> and as I said before, these tracks run together. So we're not really going to listen to one track, another track, um, and they go at like breakneck speed. So I'm going to do my best to like talk you through what we're hearing yeah, as we it's do it. all killer, no filler. Yeah, that's it. And on the record it says Sight Eins, side one, and then it's called potpourri and so potpourri we know is that thing that everyone's grandma had on their side tables in the 90s it's a bowl of dried flowers terrible terrible chips smelly bark and (laughs) and flower petals um and i actually did a little bit of research on potpourri because i was like whoa was that just like a thing that happened in the 90s and we all just collectively (laughs) agreed to forget about um i know it's not it's it's they dated as far back as the 17th century France and it was a little bit different in those days so what they would do is they would pick herbs and flowers in spring Uh and they would let them wilt for a few weeks and then they would mix them with coarse salt which I guess preserved them in a way then they'd put them in a bowl and and sorry so potpourri so it's from the French word po-pot which means the same thing as in English pot marijuana and then puri is from the French word for rotten. Rotten in a pot. Yes. So potpourri in those days, they'd pick the flowers in spring, 
Then they'd leave them in a bowl over summer to rot and ferment and mould until it was a grey sludge. And it wasn't until autumn that they would mix spices in to the, um, and I quote the Wikipedia article, the unsightly grey mix. (laughs) And then a pleasant odour would be achieved. So, Uh, Okay, so, look, I'm no, uh, you know, smellsmith, but it seems to me, (laughs) like, if you're taking something that smells like shit and you're adding things that smell good, why have the things that smell like shit? Just have the things that smell good and smell them. You know, you may be able to get back in your time machine and and make a bunch of money in 17th century (laughs) France. I think we should should remember, too, that in 17th century France, like, people in Versailles were, like, pissing behind curtains and stuff because there were no bathrooms inside. It was a real smelly place. Maybe the mould was a preferable smell to the smell of life. Yeah. Add some herbs, bam. (laughs) That is is delightful. So anyway, anyway let's, without further let's ado, let's uh, let's launch into this unslightly grey sludge of of a record. <laughs> oh, we shouldn't was... prejudge it, but it is it is called potpourri, and that's what potpourri means. Okay. So, I just want that to inform your listening of this before we get in. <laughs> So is this a live recording, Tess, or have they got, like, canned crowd cheering? I'm fairly sure it's canned. It is. You'll hear it throughout. There's cheering and clapping, and it starts out with a bang. So this this song is um, a Barry Blue song. He was a glam rocker, an English glam rocker. It's from 1973. All of the songs on this album are either from 1973 or 1974. Ooh, that's like very current for this record. It starts out, as we can hear, with the singers just singing over and over again, do you want to dance, do you want to dance, do you want to dance? And I think (laughs) that that's a good thing, Kat, because it is good to obtain consent before you induce (laughs) non-stop dancing. (laughs) (laughs) Although they're for sure not taking no for an answer. Do you want (laughs) to? Do you want to? Do you want to? Do you want (laughs) to? And so already we've gone into the second song. I'm I'm so into this like big brass sound. Like I'm a bit of a sucker for the brass, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It's very energetic. Um, it's certainly serving its purpose, Kat. I kind of want to dance. Yeah, I am dancing <laughs> right now. Not not well. <laughs> no one's watching. Although I must say, like some of these songs, this one in particular, um, "Whoever Told You," it's a Chi Coltrane song. Uh, they really like shave the nuts off this song. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it took a lot of oomph out. It was a really like ballsy kind of, um, you know, gutsy kind of song. And what James Last does is he he takes everything and just puts it through the James Last mince machine. Yeah, and it really all comes out sounding the same. Essentially the same. Yeah, which is not necessarily a fault. I mean, that's his intention. Mm. But the whole thing is is put to this this clap track, which blends all the all the rhythms together. Um, yeah. I think it's interesting that there's no lead singer throughout. It's it's 
probably six backup singers. Yeah, maybe, there's just like just this choir. Every bit every part together yeah yeah and i feel like this choir and they're all like not really that close to the mic so they're like really far away and they're just like yelling which i think yeah. is which i think it's is got this... by design right to make you feel like you can sing along and like I think so yeah it's it like doesn't... you're in a party yeah yeah it's the, like the, the pub or whatever yeah and everyone's singing along there's no star of the show here yeah but very democratic <laughs> um, I think that like having having that be the case means that you're more likely to sing along like at home. So in yeah. the same way that a laugh track makes you more likely to laugh, and the cheering makes you more likely to no, you're not going to cheer at home, are you? That's not that's <laughs> not actually going to work, is it? It does make um, it feel like a party though. Yeah, and and also the fact that a lot of the time, because they just like stick to the main. Uh, like chorus or like the pre-chorus that really sticks in your head like you don't have to worry about not knowing the words because they just oh. go straight to the very known part of every Absolutely. single song. they've taken all the, the boring bits out yeah there was a campaign an ad campaign when we were kids for streets cornetto where it was like no boring bits and there was like bits of chocolate in the cone and stuff <laughs> I was like, "What? How spoiled are we that we think that just yeah. plain vanilla like, ice cream? Yeah. Oh, boring!" Yeah, the very bottom of the cone was filled with solid chocolate. That's what we demanded. <laughs> Give me more sugar. This, this is bored nation. And honestly, like speaking of like sugar, like this is the music equivalent of junk food. A, a thing of sherbet. Like it's just like yeah. nothing but it's, it's like nerds. It's like the Wonka nerds just. Sugar with different colours. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I can see where you're going with that. Mm. All right, let's skip ahead a little bit. Okay. Um, so this is a German um, song called... Oh, I'm going to fail. It's... Go on, du go on. nicht immer Sussman saying something. And oh, it, it you translates... said you didn't speak German. Liar. <laughs> uh, yet. Um, <laughs> this, yeah, this, uh, this is a song called You Can't Always Be 17. Um, it's by someone called Chris Roberts. Uh, German or, or maybe even a Dutch singer. Uh, it's singing from the point of view of uh, he's telling his girlfriend, you won't always be 17, but I'm going to love you until you're 70, um, which I feel like probably vibes with the audience that James Last is targeting at. They're probably a bit closer to 70 than they are 17. Ah, uh, yes. Um, but I think that the interesting thing here is it's a very like distinct change in tone and genre. This is We're moving away from the the rock and the glam rock mm. kind of hits um it sounds very germany um <laughs> yeah yeah i would totally hear this like with a guy with a tuba <laughs> like at oktoberfest yeah i was gonna say big long table everyone's like mm. got a stein and they're all yeah, singing this together stein. at oktoberfest yeah. um and cat i'm not gonna lie i feel like i might stop dancing just maybe just for a second <laughs> oh just you're you're demoted to a toe tap yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, James. James. Hans, Hans, Hans. All right, skipping yeah, ahead again. Actually, this totally does sound like it's, like, from a theme restaurant. I just, it also just, it's always surprising to hear what was a hit. Mm. And not all of these were, some of these, I think, were hits in Germany or closer to Germany, not necessarily in the UK. But, yeah, this, I mean, this record really works as a snapshot of like what was big in that year it's time capsule because he's choosing sure. all these contemporary hits to to blend together <laughs> yeah Susie Quattro and then this so I feel like this song is 
I guess like slow dancing. He doesn't specify the kind of dancing. It feels like a weird inclusion in a non-stop dancing record. Yeah. This song is by the Hollies, the air mm. that I breathe. Um, apparently the original publishers of this song sued Radiohead for ripping off the song when they released Creep in 1992. Oh. Um, and they ended up having to give partial songwriting credits to the Hollies. Oh, yeah, now that you mention it, I totally can hear the the similarities. Yeah. Ah. I mean, yeah, gorgeous song, but um, as you said, not really a dance hit. <laughs> Interesting inclusion. Non-stop swaying. All right, Kat, so let's uh, let's switch over to Sight Zwei, side two. So we're going to skip ahead a little bit. It opens up with a, a Nazareth song and then goes on past Teenage Rampage by The Sweet. Um, but what we're going to hear next is truly a highlight of this record, I think, Kat. <laughs> it makes me laugh so much. Very recognisable beginning, and then boom, straight into the chorus of Waterloo, and they've forgotten about all of the lyrics. <laughs> it goes, Waterloo, la 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 la. Na 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 They've just replaced all the lyrics with na 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 na's, which I can get on board with because, frankly, this is how I That's sing songs, I sing. Kat, when I'm out and about. <laughs> Who needs words? Oh. I wondered if maybe they had like a rights issue with the lyrics or something, oh. but. I think no, surely I, not. I looked the, into it. Yeah. They released this song in Swedish and English at the same time. And in Sweden, both um, iterations of it were so popular that they reached number two and number three, respectively, on the charts at the same oh, time. Wait, what? Yeah. Oh, so if only they'd released one version, then they definitely would have gotten to number one. Yeah, maybe. That's how maths works, right? But yeah, I don't know. Maybe they're just covering their bases in in replacing all the things with. Oh Nana yeah, Nas everyone because, can sing along. Uh, then the Swedish ah, and the English. Absolutely, they, just, they don't feel cheated. Yeah. But as 100%. we know, Waterloo was the winning in- entry for Sweden in the 1974 Eurovision yes. competition. I did know that. It is the first that. Eurovision winner to be sung in a language other than its country of origin. Um, the rules about that were actually changed the very year before. Waterloo mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. Um, and this song went to number one in the UK, number one in West Germany, and number six in the US charts. Mm-hmm. And now it's over. The end. And now it's it's just it. It's it's short like, and sweet. They're all short like and all... sweet. Let's That's skip so ahead funny. again. That's just so funny. I feel like James Last, like having the success as a band leader, is kind of similar to the like current success of some producers. Like producers, producers used to be in the background, but now they are like the big names. So like people like Mark Ronson or like Calvin Harris before he started singing. Yeah, and I think think, that's a fair comparison. Yeah, and like rightly so. Like they, the person behind the music should totally get the credit for the the music that's being played. Well, he certainly um, imparted his own sound. Oh, definitely. Um, Kat, right now we're listening to a song called "Dan the Banjo Man." Um, this was a hit for Phil Cordell in 1973. Um, it became a hit in Germany after it was used for an orange juice commercial. Wait, what? No. That, <laughs> nope. That's, that isn't real. Surely it's not. <laughs> <laughs> this song, Dan the Banjo Man, I should note, does not feature a banjo. Uh, <laughs> seems like somewhat of an oversight. Phil Cordell was a, a multi-instrumentalist. He played every song on this, uh, every instrument on this album. 
Uh, and he used a guitar with a wah-wah pedal that he thought made it sound like a banjo. A banjo style. <laughs> I just, uh, I, I wanted to include this song because I find it really stupid and annoying. And Why else would you include anything? Again, it's just like a really incongruous, weird addition and somehow they all sound the same. Yeah, even though they're all like very, very different songs, the original. Oh, also the yeah, the original of this um, was just an instrumental, and last has added vocals and lyrics. Oh, <laughs> of course he did. So when I was watching some of the James Last concerts on YouTube, um, he strikes me as a spiritual predecessor for to Andre Ryu. Do you know who Andre Ryu is? Like, I know the name. So he's a, a violin player and he, he puts oh, on yeah. these spectacular concerts for grannies. Mm. And it's, I like to call the genre exploitation because it's, it's classical music, but it's, <laughs> it's just the bangers and just the fun bits and none of that boring, slow stuff. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's very kitsch. Perhaps it's like a German thing that we just don't necessarily get in translation but you know the people in the crowds in those videos and in the james last videos are having the times of their goddamn lives they're clapping they're smiling they're singing along yeah. it's certainly become a cliche to deride white people of their cultural blandness but honestly there is nothing more like ugh, white people than watching a james <laughs> last concert <laughs> uh, but then on the other hand like i wish i could make that many people happy absolutely yeah. Yeah, and who are we to criticize? I mean, you know, just because it's not for us. Yeah, I'm not going to yuck mean anyone else's It's not young. serving a purpose in this world. Yeah. Should we just stop it there and, and have a little yes. break? And yes, when please. we get back, we will wrap it up, tell you what we think about this record. Hey, yo, what's up, Playboy? I'm out here in Milan. If you come get with me, eh? Welcome back to One Dollar Vinyl. You just heard a song from P. Diddy, uh, which features Big Asco, Black Rob, and Kane. The song's called Where's Sean? And it is from the year 2001. And that samples uh, a James Last song called Fantasy, which is from the album Seduction. And James Last had a hit for um, the song Seduction as it was the theme to the film American Gigolo, starring Richard Gere. Oh, there you go. So, Kat, what do we think about this record? Well, I don't know what we think, but I think <laughs> it's, uh, look, it's genuinely joyful. I think in a time without streaming, I can definitely see the appeal in what is essentially a mixtape uh, <laughs> using only the good slash memorable parts of popular songs. It's the equivalent of a wedding DJ with an iPod and also ADHD. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely not a record to sit down to for a proper listen. Um, it is the Twilight Saga in song form. It's enjoyable as long as you don't actually think about it too much. Just let it wash over you. <laughs> uh, I think it's quite deserving of the criticism it received. Uh, but James last said... You have to recognize your limits and live within them. I recognized early enough that I was no Beethoven, so I do what I can. And that I do that as good as possible. Which I think is uh, perfectly 
describing what we've heard. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think I agree with just about everything you say. I think, it, yeah, it's a, a party playlist before such a thing existed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's other, like, mega mixes that it reminds me of. There's one that um, that I've heard a few times called Stars on 45, which uh, <gasps> has a that. bunch of... And it's not what I thought it was. Yeah. Beatles songs. It's also got the Archies and Shocking Blue and it. That's from 1981. So, yeah. so this is way before that. Mm. Um, and I think it makes sense. Like if you're, you know, back then like records are expensive. Mm. If you're only buying a couple of albums a year, maybe you just want to get this and get a lot of bang for your buck. Like why buy 15 albums when you can just buy one and hear the best parts of only the songs you like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think if you like go along for the ride, then the twists and turns can catch you off guard and it's kind of fun. Mm. Um, I can see, yeah, like you said, the criticism that, you know, mushing a bunch of songs together over the course of a career, over the course of 190 plus records, certainly might feel like cultural bulldozing after a while. Yeah. Um, but I think it's uh, it's probably summed up pretty exactly well by uh, the critic Alex Petridis from The Guardian who wrote this the week that James last died. He said mm. it's pop in that time pop music started moving and changing at an unprecedented speed. Yeah. James Last made music for people who couldn't or wouldn't keep up. His yeah. job was translating what was happening in the charts into a form that was palatable to those with limited musical palettes. Huh. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you can't deny that that the arrangement and the spin that he puts on, puts on the songs, uh, it, it definitely requires a level of talent. Like I, I couldn't have done it. I still can't do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Like, he's good at his job. Mm. And I think that he, yeah, the songs that he picks are really interesting. Um, And, yeah, like, overall, it's just fun and funny. But I do think that it's a bit like when the women's, the Australian Women's Weekly takes a recipe from a foreign culture but replaces all the authentic spices with sweet and sour sauce and all the foreign <laughs> vegetables with carrots and everything ends up just tasting the same. It's like, it's not awful, but it's definitely not sundubu jigae, you know. It's... <laughs> Kat, if we ever go into lockdown again, the one-person party aspect is great. Oh, yeah. I don't know if James last predicted the pandemic. We may never know. Um, <laughs> but like you said, yeah, it's not a deep listening experience, mm, but I can see no. putting this on at a, a party in 1974 or cleaning the house to it, you know, yeah. letting it wash over you, like you said. For sure. Um, and, and very importantly, like... No one's no one's being intimidated by how cool James Last is. Like <laughs> James Last isn't too cool for anyone. This no. is it's very approachable, friendly uh, music, and everyone's just enjoying the chance to feel a little groovy for a few hours. And and I'm here for it. It is hip to be square. Cat, would this record make your collection? Nah, you can keep it. Are you gonna? What do you think? Are you gonna hold on to it? Yeah, I think like. I'm I'm here for the novelty value of it, and mm. uh, it's like musically, it's good. I don't know if I'd listen to 190 records of this, <laughs> but I'll keep one. <laughs> okay. Um, what do you think people should pay for this record? I definitely think it's worth a dollar. Mm. Maybe a dollar thirty-four. Uh, all right. Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope that you enjoyed James Last's non-stop dancing. Hey, you can stop dancing now, by the way, everyone. Like, just uh, oh, actually, I'm uh, really puffed. Yeah. I've only just stopped. <laughs> uh, we'd love to hear what you think. Hit us up on our socials. Hit us up on wonderlavinyl at gmail.com. 
and uh, let us know if you're enjoying the podcast. Uh, you can rate and subscribe on wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like this episode, please share it with your friends. Share it on your social media. As the James Last Orchestra say, na 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 na